and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host, Jenny Gladman, and across the podcast, I'll be interviewing leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges, and rewards of working in clean tech. From revolutionizing solar panels to overhauling the way we move, in this second season, we'll be exploring the innovations that are sparking sustainable change and fueling a cleaner, greener future, whilst offering some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone to live their purpose. Today's guest is a really interesting one. Father of two girls, former filmmaker, and for the last decade, the founder and CEO of an extremely innovative solar technology company. After a very unconventional career change, which I'm going to let Christoph tell you about himself, he moved into a career with purpose. Having the ability to have an impact on the planet drove this change and has kept him extremely motivated and successful ever since. Christoph is a natural leader, a risk taker, a creative mind who never wanted to stop learning and researching new ways to make a difference. Naked Energy is revolutionizing the potential of solar energy technology. Their product um, for both heat and power from a single use unit using a combination of photovoltaic cells and vacuum technology. They're based near Gatwick Airport. They're approaching 20 employees and have some major ambitions to continue to innovate and disrupt the energy sector. So today we're going to be talking about that unconventional jump from arts to science, Christoph's story, the naked energy journey so far, the change in perception which is required globally, the cold elephant in the room and how we can collectively accelerate the energy transition. I'm very excited to welcome today's guest, Christoph Williams, the co-founder and CEO of Naked Energy to Conversations in Clean Tech. Christoph, welcome. Brilliant. Thank you. What an introduction. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, so I'm going to hand over to you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself uh, and how you found yourself after a very different start in life, building one of uh, the most unique solar companies in the UK. Yeah, as you said, it's a very um, unusual career segue into uh, being a CEO of a, a clean tech company. I guess it, it all started back when I was a little boy, um, my grandfather, who's no longer with us, but he, he told me something that resonated with me um, right at the very beginning. He said to me, if you were to put all the known fossil fuels in the world and put them into an annual calendar, said, we've only got a few minutes left. I try to process that thought. And... Of course, there's been lots of other discoveries of fossil fuels, etc. But it kind of lodged a thought in my brain that, wow, you know, fossil fuel, the energy we use, it's finite. There's only a finite amount left, and we just can't keep burning stuff. So he was an amazing um, inspiration and a scientist. He, he actually ran the alternative energy division of John Lang for two decades in the 60s and 70s. So it's just mind-blowing. He was working on uh, flywheel technology. He was working on uh, wave power. Um, he, you know, he even built scale models of trains coming into a station, setting off uh, a network of flywheels. And the energy used to slow the train was then used to push it back out of the station. So it's just remarkable. He was just five decades ahead of his time. So a brilliant, a brilliant man. And obviously it was um, a little bit like at the moment, there's all this sort of uh, fear of uh, energy prices going up and security of supply. 
well, they had the oil crisis in the 70s, and, and, and clearly there was a big rush, you know, what are the alternatives? And then um, normality returned. Um, however, for us now, the new normality is we know the science is there, we've got to do something. So my grandfather was a extraordinary engineer and scientist. My father's an aeronautical mechanical engineer. And I kind of the brain stopped there. I'm not an engineer or scientist. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to be. I'm a frustrated one. Um, I mean, I absolutely love it. Um, and grew up with my father sort of building and breaking things as a kid and always you know, watched him. And he still has workshops at his farm down in Wiltshire. If anything breaks, he can make it better than the original. So my, my father's an amazing engineer. But I, I was fortunate. I went to a good school. But when I, when I left school, um, I, was, I was very arty. Um, so I went to St. Martin's Art School, did foundation, um, did fine art for a while and absolutely loved that kind of, that world and always had an interest in sustainability. But I, I stumbled into the film world and um, got into uh, an editing company, became uh, an assistant film editor and very quickly learned my way up the ranks and, and at a very young age got very lucky to edit some very interesting films. Um, they were very technical and very visionary. Um, and I guess that's part of what I'm trying to do even now in, in sustainability. I'm trying to push the technical boundaries and, and the visual boundaries with solar. I, I, I edited a campaign for, for BMW. That was my first big campaign. And it was a campaign which is it was called Greater Than the Sum of Its Parts. It was a, the new five series. And we built this 120-foot real scale set of scales we couldn't film on the Bond studio because it wasn't tall enough. So we went to Cardington Airship Hangar. Again, really weird kind of synergy. That's where my great-grandfather was the captain of the R101. I've got his book behind me just here, Airship Pilot Number 28, where they built the uh, the airship's hull and used to fly them out. So we were filming this, and I knew that you know, my great-grandfather was there as well long ago. And then edited a, a great campaign with Steve McQueen, driving around th- uh, San Francisco with uh, Ford Puma. So that was a... That launched my career. It was a really good uh, campaign. And I guess I stayed in the in the film industry for a while in the advertising world, which was great and exciting when you're in your 20s. But in that time, I also worked on a global climate change campaign. And we did that with DEFRA and the Central Office of Information. And um, I directed that. And, and the idea was, if you could see climate change, you would do something about it. And so what we did is we had all this colorful sort of gas coming out of cars and buildings and, and factories and, and airplanes. And when you looked at the sky, there was just this enormous, you couldn't see clear sky. It's just rainbows and kind of colorful kind of gases everywhere. And everyone realized, well, that's not right. We need to do something about it. I guess that's half the challenge now is it's just kind of invisible apart from these storms and these kind of mega events that happen. So back to back to the career, I mean, I always wanted to do something in sustainability and I guess the, the campaigns I, wor- I was working on were not, even though I had worked on campaigns for water saving and, and um, climate change, they were, they were for oil companies, they were for, for, for you know, commercials for Shell and for Ferrari and BMW, and they weren't the most purpose-driven campaigns. And, and so got to a stage in my career where I was aware of what's going on in the world. I was aware that heat was actually half of all the energy we consume on the planet and wanted to do something about it. I kind of got to a stage of my career where it's kind of, you need to do something now or never. And in my career, in the creative industry, you're only earning money when you're working, which is really quite tough. So it's kind of feast or famine. And um, 
with Naked Energy, uh, I met a, one of the early shareholders and founders who'd done some work in solar. And it was a real kind of fortuitous meeting. We kind of brainstormed together about ideas and we came up with the concept of the hybridization, you know, taking the very best of photovoltaic technology and the very best of thermal technology. And why not combine both of them and actually get more energy from less space? And why can't we use more of the sun's energy you know, rather than having separate products? You know, we all have iPhones, or telephones and calendars and, you know, they do multiple functions. Why can't a solar technology do that? So we came up with a design and it was very interesting. We sort of spent quite a bit of time just sort of doing ideation and thinking about, you know, is this, could this really happen? And uh, my colleague was quite a bit more senior than me. He was in a, a stage of his career where he wasn't really prepared to take risks. And I asked myself a simple question. I said, well, look, if I don't do this, could I live with myself in terms of, you know, not knowing what would have happened if I you know, had done naked energy? And, and the simple answer was no. I've got to do this. I've got to give it a go. And that's where the journey started. I took the plunge, which was a big risk because I have wife, kids, mortgage. <laughs> it's, it's not for the faint-hearted uh, being an entrepreneur, particularly in this, in this field. And also to, to, to add to that, when I started Naked Energy, yeah, climate change, yes, it was, it's always been there. It's this, sort of, it's this big thing that we've got to address at some time, but it's never the pressing issue of the day. It is now. And in our first kind of investor pitches and our sort of business plans, every time we mention carbon savings, it was like, no, 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 don't mention that. It's all about financial savings. It's, you know, the green in the pocket is the one that really matters, not the, the green for sustainability. And it, you know, finally, the penny is dropping and the urgency is becoming clearer and the imperative to do something is happening. So there was another bit of kind of fluke or luck or serendipity. We applied to Shell. There was a thing called a springboard competition. And uh, I never look at my junk mail. And I looked at the junk mail and there was this notification from Shell saying, congratulations, you've been shortlisted to present at Cambridge University as part of the solar section. And it was a competition that they called it small businesses with big ideas on climate change. And um, so, okay, we got shortlisted, but you now need to fill out this entire form. And it, the deadline was six o'clock that day and it was three o'clock. So I sort of scrambled together filled out this form said well no chance am i going to get to 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 get selected lo and behold we did get selected and i went uh, to the event with one of my partners who's still with me today i co-founded nick simmons who's a finance director um but i knew him socially and he joined me early we both packed up our things went to cambridge pitched and again zero expectations um we thought well we'll go on a on a learning experience and lo and behold we won we won forty thousand pounds cash and that little prize there, that's the Shell Award. Yeah, it's still on my shelf, so it's uh, its there to give me, I know this is a podcast, I know, but that's uh, the Shell Springboard Award. And it was a springboard indeed, because we then went on to raise half a million pounds of um, sort of seed investment from some business angels who liked what we were doing. And that was the, that was the moment, you know, where we said, well, actually, you know what, maybe the decision to take the risk and take the plunge is worth it. And I thought half a million pounds, that's just so much money. It is a lot of money. It is a lot of money, but actually it's just, it's not even a drop in the ocean compared to what's needed to really address this global challenge. And so we then turned to, okay, well, what are we going to do? We filed the patents, we formed, you know, made things more formal, refined the business plan. And of course, half a million pounds, I thought that's it. We're going to be able to develop the technology. We're going to scale manufacturing. We're going to deliver this. And I was very, very wet behind the ears and very you know, green in a different way. 
and, and realized no way is it going to be enough. 10 million pounds later, now we've raised over 10 million pounds um, through private investment and through grant funding. We've been on a, on a, on a journey and it's one, one, one hell of an interesting journey. I call it a solar coaster because some days you're flying high and some days you're going around the bend and some days you're taking a bit of a nosedive. Um, but it's, it's been the most extraordinary journey meeting very interesting businesses, working with scientists, working with engineers, entrepreneurs, financiers, marketers, you know, people who are really driven by climate change, visionary people. And it's hugely stimulating and rewarding. It's been painful. It's been very, very challenging because financially it hurts. You've got to take a big risk. And for a long time, you don't, you're not, not getting paid um, because the risk you take. But uh, yeah, hopefully still now we're at a really exciting stage now with the, the backing that we've had and the team that we've built. As you mentioned in the introduction, we're now just under 20. Got just an extraordinary team, some wonderful men and women in the company who are just driving the business forward now. Yeah, and, and so we've got to a stage where we've developed the technology. Um, we've independently verified it. We've had it proven and tested in Germany. We've scaled manufacturing. So we have a, a global manufacturing partner. It's a big American company. They have, a, they have 100 factories around the world. And we're in their Genesis site in Italy at the moment. And we've also, since April, set up manufacturing in the UK. So we're actually making products in the UK and building and, and creating jobs here in the UK. And we have distributors now. We've got distributors in the Benelux, Switzerland. Um, we've signed a deal in Australia and South Africa. And we're now looking to expand in Europe and into, the, into North America. So it's, it's um, a very exciting time. And, and it feels like there, there are tailwinds. Obviously, there are still huge amounts of challenges, particularly when you read headlines like $11 million per minute goes still to you know, support fossil fuels. You know, that's, a, that's a lot of money that could go to a lot of good in other, in other areas. There are many challenges still ahead for us as a business and for us as a species to, to address climate change. But it's, um, it's doable and it feels like there's a coalition of the willing now and obviously what happens next month in Glasgow is, is pivotal as well. So yeah, um, conscious that uh, that was uh, quite a ramble, but there you are. No, it was a brilliant, brilliant insight. And actually what I'm going to do is pull us back just one step. Um, so some of our listeners are, are well embedded in the clean tech sector, but some are listening from more of an educational perspective. So kind of looking from the outside in, from an overarching climate change, we've talked about the clean tech sector briefly, but from your perspective, I always think it's nice to hear from the person on the inside, like what clean tech means to you and then where solar fits within that. And then we'll, we will bring that back around to the products that you have at Naked Energy. But I think just more generally educating people on, you know, the fact that, that solar is not just the panels that you see on someone's house these days. There's a lot more to it. Absolutely. So I called the company Naked Energy for a reason, because Naked for me really symbolizes clean, pure sort of uncontaminated energy. It's, it's, the, it's energy in its purest form. And so clean tech for me, it's not just about hardware. There are you know, it's different services and solutions. There's many different ways of doing things in a clean and sustainable way. And it, it can be from clean generation to energy efficiency because the cheapest energy you're ever going to have is the energy you don't use. So you know, energy efficiency is clearly um, at the front. And, and we're on the generation side, so clean generation, and then there's waste management, and there's so many aspects to, to sustainability. 
So clean tech for me is just making sure that things are built, delivered, managed and monitored in a sustainable way. And that's our livelihoods, that's our businesses and all the things that we consume. So that's, that's effectively what clean tech means for me. And where we see ourselves fitting in is really um, is in the decarbonization of heat. So Naked Energy, our, our mission is to decarbonize heat. Heat is not so well known because in the headlines you read about electricity, you read about transport, but actually heat, heating and cooling buildings is just over half, and I'll say it again, half of all the energy consumed on the planet, and it's about 40% of the emissions. So it's a staggering amount of energy. And there are a lot of governmental targets and business targets saying, yes, we'll achieve net zero. Well, we're not going to get to net zero unless we address heat. And that's why we call it the cold elephant in the room or the warm elephant in the room, whatever you want, <laughs> yeah, whatever you want to call it, because heat has to be addressed. And, and heat is hard. It's hard to decarbonize because it's gas boilers or furnaces. And, and so we've done very well with electricity in the UK, you know, with wind farms and nuclear and, and PV farms. That's really good. So the, the, the carbon intensity of our power grid is doing well. But actually, heat's been left in the too hard box for too long. And you've heard all the headlines from government and Boris Johnson saying, well, actually, no, we don't have a magic bullet. There is, we don't know what the solutions are. And the heat and building strategy has been delayed and delayed and delayed. And it still hasn't come out. And COP is next month. And so our absolute mantra is, well, look, generate the heat renewably where it's needed. And that's why with our technology, we designed it to be very space efficient and elegant in design. So it's only 26 centimeters off the roof line installed on a flat roof. So we've designed it to be uh, very architectural, very aesthetically pleasing, but also very energy efficient. So we can convert up to 80% of the sun's energy into usable energy on a building. That's the peak energy uh, at, the, at the collector. So we're delivering more energy where it's needed. And that's particularly important for not just homes, but for commercial and industrial buildings, because they're the big heat consumers. And you know, although the residential market is the biggest market, and there are solutions, and there's a big push to electrify and move to heat pumps. And I think that is a good solution. However, there are challenges, because our grid is one of the oldest in the world. And it's already struggling with the um, variability supply, the, in, the intermediate supply of renewables. The challenge also is that when you add heat pumps onto it, you're going to increase the load onto that grid. And the load for heating is actually significantly bigger than the size of the electrical grid, even though there's an efficiency gain with heat pumps. And to increase that problem, you've got electric vehicles now coming onto the grid. So, you know, where is all this renewable electricity going to come from to provide the heat pumps and electric vehicles? So our belief is, as you mentioned at the beginning as well, there's no magic bullet to the solution, but we see solar heat and power, what we're doing, as really complementary. We're part of the solution where every kilowatt hour of hot water at 60 degrees Celsius that we generate for a hotel, a hospital, a care home, a school campus, a farm, every single uh, factory, every single kilowatt hour is one kilowatt hour less that you've got to pull in from the gas or the electricity grid and it's helping decarbonize so it's a combination of solutions and our product works really well with heat pumps and, and storage solution because water is actually one has one of the highest specific heat capacities in the in the in the universe i say i'm not a scientist this is where i'm going to come unstuck <laughs> but it's 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 4200 joules I mean, it's it's a basically it takes a lot of energy to heat water 
that's the, that's the amount of joules it takes to increase water by one degree Celsius, one gram of water by one degree Celsius. Copper, for example, is, is 100 and something. So it just shows you how hard it is to heat water up and why burn something to do that when you've got all that abundant energy from the sun. But also by default, water is really good to store. You can store energy in water for a long time. You can do it through multi-day, but also you can do it for a whole season. And this is something that we're trying to communicate to the government and policymakers is in our neighboring countries like Denmark, Netherlands, Germany, Austria, you know, very near countries have a similar climate. But what they've done is they've invested massively into solar heat. And what they've done is they've they've got solar arrays and they just, just do hot water at low temperature. They are storing the energy from the summer. So when there's abundant solar energy, they collect that energy and they're storing it in other really large vessels or in reservoirs or boreholes in the ground. And then they've got whole towns and whole communities that are completely off gas and zero carbon. And it's affordable. It's around five to six euro cents per kilowatt hour. So it's, it's affordable. That is a growing market and, and a big market. And these are megawatt scale projects. Had we invested in that earlier, we'd be in a much better position as today in the big debate that's like, how do we, you know, we're reliant on imported fossil fuels, you know, gas prices are going up. Well, if we had more on-site renewables that are well-installed, well-managed and well-monitored, then it's, it's a major part of the solution. So to answer your question, that's, how, that's where we see ourselves as playing a role in delivering on-site renewable heat and power where it's needed for commercial industrial buildings. And also we want to address um, residential properties, multi-dweller, so apartment buildings, social housing, um, those, those types of buildings where there's a constant hot water demand all year round. And how far away do you think we are from getting our government to see things in the, in the way of the countries you mentioned, the Denmarks, the Netherlands, Germany, Austria, the countries that are really kind of ahead of the game with the panels and with the storage and with, yeah, using, using that energy to power whole communities. As you say, we've got situations here that that would be absolutely perfect for across the country, but it really isn't being taken seriously. Yeah, there's, there's good and bad news to that. So um, the bad news, I'll start with that, is that by the time we came to market, I mean, no technology really needs to rely on subsidies. Ideally, you take away all the subsidies for everything, fossil fuels, renewables, as a level playing field. And then you'd see who, which technology is competitive and, and, and what's the best business case. However, when we were developing, there was a renewable heat incentive for the commercial industrial sector. That was taken away. And it's still going for residential, but that ends at the beginning of next year or early next year. So that that's a unfortunate um, own goal, I think, from the government. And also there was the um, the grant scheme, green homes grant, and and solar thermal was extremely popular. There was some data yesterday in terms of its fourteen fold growth. Customers want they understand solar heat. It's a very pure and simple technology. You're taking heat from the sun, making something warm. And it's used on site. It doesn't have to go to a refinery and then get shipped through trucks and then be burnt and then go through a motor and then down electrical cable to then heat a bit of water. You know, it's a very pure uh, way of heating energy. And so, unfortunately, that policy shifted and there was obviously a massive um, subsidy intervention for PV where the subsidy was at 47 pence per kilowatt hour and there was just a land grab. There was a massive shift towards PV. 
that basically really harmed the solar thermal industry. And there is now a renaissance. And we are trying to, one of our strap lines is, you know, we're trying to redefine solar, but not redefine solar energy, but redefine how it's presented, how it's sold and, and how we educate. Solar thermal is on the way back. And the government now do have um, some policy through the pub- public decarbonization scheme. So they're now into their third stream. And that is they're decarbonizing their own buildings. And it's a competitive tender because you have to do it for less than a certain amount of money per ton of, uh, of CO2 displaced. And you know, I'm very excited to say that we, we have this um, project that's extremely exciting on an iconic building in London, which we're in the process of uh, implementing. Can't announce it yet, but it's it's going to be enormous for us as a business and hopefully for the industry because we'll be, really be able to promote the, the on-site heat and power that's been generated for this wonderful application and, and hopefully that'll be um, a real lighthouse project for us as well. So that's the public sector decarbonisation scheme. There's a few other schemes as well in, in industry which can help towards some of the capital costs of those projects. And we don't know what the next stage, stage is from government. Now, we're asking to see the heat and building strategy um, and you know we're here we're making our products in the UK from our perspective we can create jobs from the production to the delivery to the installation to the monitoring to the servicing then, you know, it, it's there's a huge amount of green jobs that can be created by supporting this industry that's how we see it in the UK at the moment and hopefully the, the government um, see it that way too but we need to see the detail um, we're part of two associations at the moment, so the Sustainable Energy Association and also Solar Energy UK. And these are two important associations for us because they help uh, amplify our message about the importance of on-site renewable heat. But there are not many manufacturers and not many installers now of solar thermal. And the beauty is as well, those types of jobs, you can migrate from, if there are gas engineers that are suddenly going, well, what am I going to do? They can train and, and they can do because it's, you know, it's electronics and, and plumbing and, and roofing and integration to plant rooms. They're, these are transposable skills, um, transferable skills um, into this sector. So it's a big opportunity all around. Yeah, and we're seeing a huge demand for that. People who want to move out of the, the historic dirty energy space and into clean energy, clean tech and People do it for various reasons, and there's no right and wrong reasons as far as I'm concerned. But what we see is once they've made that transition, almost without fail, people are happier. They have that sense of purpose. They have a part. They feel like they're part of something and something that's growing and something that's so important, not just for us, but but for our kids, for the next generation, for generations to come. Um, and as you started off saying at the start with, you know, the rate that we're burning fossil fuels, it's it can't continue. It's not a case of, um, you know, maybe one day we're going to solve this problem. I think there's more and more and more people that are on board with we need to solve it today. And we talked before about about your kids and their interest in it and the fact that, you know, maybe that just came from what you're doing. But also, I think, you know, that the next generation that are coming out of schools and universities and internships, they are, they're really passionate about this. And actually a question I wanted to ask you was one of your main drivers was that kind of career with purpose and being inspired by the generations before you, but how does it feel? How does it feel knowing that every day you have made a difference? I hope I am. (laughs) I hope I am. Um, What's hugely rewarding is, as you say, um, my, my daughter's, 
one is 22 and literally just started full-time work now um and she she got a master's in physics from imperial i'm just you know, massively proud of her she wasn't at all sciencey or or academic can you believe that but when i started naked energy she came with me on a work experience day and we were working at pa consulting in cambridge and she saw all the technologies she saw the scientists and the two physicists who we were working with as consultants and it was like a light bulb she said i love this and she was in the bottom set of mathematics. It's like circles, circles of the bottom group, and then rhombus was the top. And then very quickly, she was suddenly in rhombus. And it's like, wow, okay, you like science. And it's just continued. And uh, she got a first um, at Imperial in physics, which is bananas. Yeah, my youngest daughter, uh, Emily, she's 17. And she wants to go into medicine. So she's also now going into science. And and it's 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 brilliant to see you know, their paths. And we do need more women in science. We need more women in many, many aspects of life. But certainly in, in STEM subjects, we need um, more, more women. So it's great to see their determination. Slightly frustrating or, or um, negative is you see the eco-anxiety. So you mentioned, you know, a lot of people are aware, the, you know, the generations now are aware of climate change. I see it as anxiety. You know, they know what we're trying to do. We're trying to, you know, it's like pushing many boulders up a hill to, to, to move into this kind of energy transition. But you see, you see they are worried about climate change. It's in the news every single day. And I think there's huge eco-anxiety with, with uh, you know, the, the young generation now. And what are we going to do? What is the world we're going to leave behind you know, for future generations? So it's brilliant in one hand, but at the same time, I didn't have to worry about this so much when I was a kid and I was growing up and going through school. And so I feel I feel the burden and the responsibility of them as well. Um, and they want to go and make a difference. So even you know, my oldest daughter, she she knows that she wants to do something in climate, even though she has this, this skill. She wants to do something that will have a positive impact on the climate, which ultimately is you know, has a social impact as well. Potentially, she should be my next guest on the podcast. <laughs> We're extremely passionate about inspiring well, everybody into STEM, but particularly young women. And my background is I studied maths and definitely wasn't in the majority on the course. And I think there's a secret weapon that was missing in society in engineering and in various parts of science and chemistry. And it was women. There wasn't as many. And we were missing out on a huge, huge section of the talent that we had in the country. And we're seeing that change and, you know, continuously looking for people who inspire others to join young and old you know does it's never too late to to have a career change as we've both seen you can always make a difference and I think as we were saying you know Brightsmith's strap line is live your purpose and I think I felt it myself moving out of an industry that I didn't feel as much passion for into something that aligned very well with me and who I am and my ethics and my morals and interest in the world and sustainability it allows you to be so much more passionate about what you do and then in turn have so much more impact because, you know, going to work doesn't really feel like going to work. I'm not going to lie, Monday morning sometimes feels a little bit like going to work, but it's that thing where you go home and you think, actually, that was great and I feel like I did make a difference and everybody's impact isn't the same and that's okay, but it's that collective responsibility. And, you know, for you that started at home with inspiring your daughters who will then go on to inspire many others, but it's also just those small differences that we can all make through our day, which hopefully will reduce that anxiety for the next generation because they'll start to see the change happening and they'll feel like they are that change. 
and then we go down to the generation beyond that and and hopefully that you know the mentality and the perception around what needs to happen will be very very different than than the way we grew up and I think I'm like you in saying you know global warming was a thing that you heard on the news but it wasn't something that gave you stress as a 13 year old so I'm going to take you back to something you said earlier about the solar coaster (laughs) and I think actually that's something I do want to touch on because we're sitting here saying how brilliant it is but I think it's um as a founder of a company myself not every day is a good day. It might be a good day, but it can be a stressful day. So I'm interested to hear for you through the last decade, maybe one or two of the real highs and one or two of the real lows and, and how you got through those and kept going. Okay, so start off with well, one of the real highs, I guess, was when we won our first big grant funding from, from it was called the Department of Energy and Climate Change at the time. And it was kind of the pivotal moment of the company because at that stage we had been doing everything pretty much you know garage mentality you know hand building it you know bootstrapping proper startup and when you're trying to design and engineer something that's really really hard and we applied to a program called the um, energy entrepreneurs fund and you know it's super super competitive yeah, and again, expectations are really low. So I thought, well, actually, if we don't win this, this probably is the writing on the wall for the company. You know, we can't carry on because I'm not an ultra high net worth. I can't just bankroll the company. You know, it's it's you've got to you've got to have a proper grant funding, and you also need to match some of that grant funding. It's not just a hundred percent. And we got a million euros. Uh, that was that was wow, game changer for us. And we got some additional private capital on top, and that enabled us to then went to PA Consulting, you know, we said, right, okay, it's going to be eye-wateringly expensive, but you know what, we're going to be doing things properly. And they and they kind of said, right, yep, you've been doing really well, but you've got to start all over again. Um, great. And so that really was a watershed moment for the company at, at the early, early stages. We, we were able to hire um, our technology director, who's still with us today. He's just absolutely brilliant, um, such a calm, cool head and He's developed a product that's gone on to generate a billion dollars worth of revenue. So you know, he's uh, a safe pair of hands. And Adrian Morel was his name. And so that was a raw high. A low is when we went to Germany once to go and test, do our first independent test of our product. So we had built our own laboratory where we still are down in Crawley and Gatwick. And we've got our own lab down there. We've created this kind of artificial sun. And it's called a solar simulator. It's a bank of lights. And you can control its intensity, you control the spectral mass, you know, the spectrum, spectroscopy of it and and uh, the angle. And we had all this data, it was just fabulous data. Even PA Consulting, you know, looked at this data, it's fantastic. And then the team was saying, right, yeah, but we need to do some more engineering. I said, no, no, we've got to go to Germany because it'd be really important for investors and our shareholders to show independently how good our product is. So I went with Adrian to Germany. He wasn't too happy about it um, because he, you know, I think as a scientist, you want to be really, really sure. And I was a sort of uh, pushy entrepreneur. And um, we were there, tested the product, and then we got the data the same evening. And it was 25% down on what we thought it was. And it was, it was one of those moments where you can't go, am I in this kind of weird dream that actually... No, no, your machines are wrong. <laughs> the data's wrong. Please you know, tap the screen, do it again. Um, and it wasn't. It was that our own equipment was over 
uh, it's, it's, it's complicated, but when you're doing with thermal energy, there's part of the light that actually was giving additional heat that we were measuring that actually, when you test it properly, you don't get that thermal energy. But uh, Adrian sat me down and said, no, this is, uh, this is bad news, good news. I was like, come again, what does that mean? And he said, well, we've got a wake-up call that we need, to, we need to do some better engineering, we need to design some of it. It's better to know now than when you're launching the product. So absolutely. So I guess it was a, it was a lesson in being pushy, but also you know, really trying to reach out and, and push forward. But actually, I learned a pretty important lesson that actually, when you get bad news sometimes, it's not always bad news. It allows you to sort of refocus and, um, and it's, it's better to know something sooner. <laughs> so that was, that was a real low. Fantastic. And actually speaking about kind of the independent testing of traveling, we talked about kind of collaboration in, in the sector. Um, and I certainly have found it extremely collaborative in all ways. But I know you mentioned that was kind of part of your passion. So, you know, growing and allowing yourselves to hire more people, but also expanding your partner network, be that in commissioning or manufacturing or marketing um, and how that's worked and how it's supported your business. So if you want to share a bit about that. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I call it creative science uh, is, is one of the terms we have for the business, but also I think our, our kind of mission statement is changing energy for good. And we kind of mean it, you know, for the better, but also for the long term. And it's it's amazing now to think we're we're 17 in the business and everyone in the business, they are phenomenal. You know, they are amazing, passionate individuals. And that is hugely inspiring, the fact that actually you know, we're building this incredible team. But I guess every single person has the same sort of ethics and mission, which is great because being mission aligned is always really, really important. But I'll give an example. When we did our first public project, and for any technology company, this is always a, a gulp moment, and your first customer, and it's public. And it's with um, an office building down in Swansea. This was a few years ago. It was our first prototypes uh, through the production line. It's an amazing project because it's actually an off- it's the first UK office building that produces more energy than it consumes. So it's an energy-positive office. It produces 25 megawatt hours and only consumes 21, which is brilliant. Um, and our products on the vertical facade, the south-facing wall, and very visible. And when we were working with, with the group down there at the active office, um, as a team, and the company was called Specific, we were designing, we were working with the architects and, and working on their initial designs. It was just, it was an amazing experience because you're working with people who are just so brilliant in their own profession but they're applying those professions and skills into something that is sustainable, that is actually going to help create better buildings, better materials, more sustainable buildings that generate store and release energy. It's just, wow, that's pretty cool. So it was was one of those sort of also validation moments. I think maybe I'm just not crazy. (laughs) What we've developed isn't completely bonkers that, you know, really educated, smart, experienced people want to integrate your technology into their building. So it was very rewarding on, on a lot of those levels. And and also, at the moment, with one of our uh, key partners, there's a company in the UK called Anthesis Group, and they're a global sustainability company. I think they're one of the fastest growing in the world, actually. And they are dealing with very large corporates all around the world um, that are trying to address their sustainability goals, and they don't know which technologies to, to, to look at. And they've been fundamental and really excellent at supporting us in terms of you know, who should we be targeting, how can we help them. And again, it's very collaborative. Um, 
and we've done a few projects. We've done now two projects with Westminster University here in the UK, where our product's providing sanitary hot water for the students and the student campus. And uh, Stevenage Borough Council, we're just doing our second project with them. And we're talking to some very large, well-known um, household name manufacturers that hopefully we're going to deploy our product on as well. So those are the kind of relationships that you need because we're just a small company, right? We're just, and, and our our model as a company is we're, we're not the manufacturers, we're not the installers, we're just the guys that own the technology and are the innovators and the designers. So we need partners all around the world to help us you know, make it, deliver it, install it, commission it, monitor it. And it's a global, global opportunity, global challenge. And so it's all those like-minded kind of organizations that when you work with them and you, and you connect with them, they are by themselves because they're aligned on the mission. They're massively rewarding to work with. And you can feel the passion. You can feel the resolve. You can feel the responsibility. Um, and that, and that yeah, it really drives you. It drives you on. Well, I mean, it's great. And looking forward, I know you've got a lot of exciting things on the horizon, um, but I feel like it's prudent to touch on um, the next stage of your growth and the capital raise and where you're headed. So I'm going to hand it to you to give all of the details because I do not want to get this wrong because it's the crucial bit of the podcast. But yeah, do you want to tell our listeners about what's next? Like, you know, this massive jump in growth and opportunity that's coming your way. I don't want to get it wrong either now with that. <laughs> now you teed it up that way. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, the company we're at this stage where we have a proven technology, we have distributors now in Europe and we're scaling. We have to scale fast because, like we mentioned earlier, we have a carbon budget, something like 400 gigatons or something like that. So that's less than 10 years. That's as if, you know, the permafrost doesn't melt and all the other issues, you know, you throw into the mix. We have a limited amount. So if we, as a, a company, want to have a material impact on, on averting climate-related disasters and keeping the temperature to one and a half degrees, we've got to scale fast. And so we have developed the supply chain. We have a $25 billion manufacturing group sat behind us. Um, we're looking for distributors that can help market and, and get our product to uh, local developers, installers in as many geographies as we can. Because to do what we want to do, we have to achieve scale. Our product is already competitive, even at this stage. But clearly, the larger we achieve economies of scale, the more we can create jobs locally, we can manufacture locally, um, the better, the more sustainable we are as a business, but also more sustainable those ecosystems are. And it's all about collaboration. So we did our uh, Series A fundraise literally just before coronavirus came in. So it was very lucky we raised five and a quarter million just before uh, the end of 2019. And that's been fantastic because it's enabled us to get our product independently certified in Germany. So that went really well <laughs> that time because <laughs> we knew what we were in for. So we've got the product uh, through that. We've, as I mentioned, we've built our own sales team because in the UK we're acting as our own distributor and we're building a really exciting network of installers and, and, and partners in the UK and we can always have more. So please do reach out to commercial at nakedenergy.co.uk if you're interested. And what we're planning is we have, a, I mentioned this, it's a mega project for us, over a thousand, of, just under a thousand of our tubes, because our products are tubes, they're not panels, they're going on this iconic building in central London. <laughs> it's a beautiful project and it's going to be a game changer for us. We also have some other really exciting projects early next year um, with some extreme, extremely 
exciting markets. Hotels are a very interesting uh, sector for us. Hospitality is coming back. But hotels tend to be in very remote locations, which tend to be quite sunny. They tend to have very high energy bills and uh, lots of solar radiation, and they need hot water all year round. So they're kind of a a perfect application for our technology. And we've got a few household name uh, hotel chains that are, are going to be integrating our product into their buildings. And then once we've achieved all those things as a business, what we want to do is in a year's time, sort of 12 to 14 months time, we're planning a B round. So that's our that's our big launch round where we want to scale internationally, where we want to raise the capital to be able to have uh, naked energy people in um, respective markets so we can support our local distributors and the whole supply chain there and all the after sales and technical support and also scale our manufacturing in those respective locations and and marketing you know we have to make a noise we need to educate about the need for heat clean heat decarbonizing heat so that's our big plan uh, is for the b round um in in about 12 months time so we're building relationships with investors that uh, that, that want to help us scale and uh, and grow the business well i look forward to having you on the podcast in 2023 uh all very exciting and i certainly wish you the very best of luck and i guess it brings us almost to a close but I always like to ask people what's the kind of one message or piece of advice you'd give to a listener. Um, it could be anyone. It could be somebody who's thinking about a career in clean tech. It could be someone who's just interested in the sector and wants to know more. But yeah, what would you what would you like to leave with them? Wow, I wasn't expecting that. But <laughs> um, what can I say? I guess the one message is well, I'm going I'm going to COP next month, and I'm talking to a very interesting group of youths and part of the message is yes there is a big problem out there in terms of climate change and yes it's quite scary when you think about it and you hear the news and you see all these events but I would spin it around and whether you want a career in it or you want to learn more about it I would just spin it around and say look guys this is just the biggest wealth creation opportunity actually it's enormous and fantastic business that we're going to do in clean tech in sustainability so i would see it as a really positive thing to get involved and the different skills there are in this industry it's not you don't have to have a phd i don't have a phd although we have phds in the company but um you don't have to have one there are many different skills and facets uh that can help mobilize uh, this industry i'll just say look it's a massive opportunity it's a threat of course but see it's a massive opportunity that we will and we have to address this uh, this challenge and there are many opportunities with different skill sets in the industry oh, i couldn't agree more and I, and take the opportunity to just to reiterate that i think a lot of people see tech clean tech and assume that you need to be a technologist or a scientist or an engineer but actually a lot of the people that make a company successful don't have those backgrounds at all. You don't need a PhD. In a lot of cases, you don't need a degree. You need to be creative. You need to be bright. You need to be driven. You need to be ambitious. But there's a lot of different moving parts in a company, and, and certainly not all of those sit within the R&D and the engineering departments. You know, like you say, you need brilliant marketeers. You need brilliant salespeople. You need brilliant organization, operational people. So just because you haven't come from that background does not mean that you can't add value in the clean tech space. So I think, yeah, no limits. Well, thank you very much, Christoph. That was brilliant. Some amazing insights. It was it was really nice to hear about the solar coaster, to hear, you know, why you made that leap, why you went from 
are totally different and extremely valid and interesting and creative career, but into um, into the clean tech space. And I do hope you've inspired others to um, to do the same. So thank you for taking the time to talk with me and for joining us on Conversations in Clean Tech. And we will watch what happens next year with Beta Breath. Thank you for listening to Conversations in Clean Tech, brought to you by Brightsmith. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on Brightsmith and how we can help you to build a sustainable future through identifying, attracting, and retaining diverse talent, head over to brightsmith.com. Join us next time for more Conversations in Clean Tech.